Good evening. Do you have your Bible ready? Colossians chapter 3. God gave these words for the Christians in Colossae, delivered through the writings of the Apostle Paul. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. I believe we could begin with verse 12 here in Colossians chapter 3, and we could study for several weeks, and it would be rich and valuable, practical for every one of us to learn and review what this is saying to Christians with sincere intention to make certain our lives reflect these qualities and these imperatives. That would be good for each one of us. But this evening, I have something specific in this text I want to concentrate on in verse 12. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Questions ought to come to mind quickly. What is a compassionate heart? Do I have one? If not, what is necessary for this compassion to be developed and enriched in my mind and in my dealings with people and in my life in general? That will be good for me and good for you. We need to know what compassion is and if we are displaying and nurturing this virtue. I tell you, there is a modern socially correct definition of compassion that's very different from the biblical teaching. And that's true with almost any common virtue, peace, joy, love, and the others mentioned in this passage. The world has an idea. The world perpetuates what is often a flexible definition of virtues that is culturally adjusted periodically. What we want is the objective biblical definition. And I believe an effective way to get to that definition is through the examples provided by the Holy Spirit written in our Bibles. What is compassion? God has answered that for us in His Word through valuable examples that speak to us. I want to take you now to Luke chapter 10. And you'll be familiar with this. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, 
saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Which of these three, do you think, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. There are three matters of context I would like to mention. One, the setting for Jesus' story is a dangerous road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Two, Priests were men appointed under the law of Moses to serve the people in their worship and offerings to God. The Levites were servants of those priests. Samaritans were considered as not being full-blooded Jews, therefore the object of scorn. So you have a dangerous road, and on that road, a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. Now there's another person in the story we're going to call him the victim. We don't know anything else about him, his race, economic status, religion, occupation. We don't know any of that. We know he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him, and the Lord says he was left on the road half dead. So the Jewish priest came by, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Next, there was the Levite, and when he came to the place and saw him, he too passed by on the other side. The victim's fortune changes when the Samaritan arrives. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, how was that compassion expressed? He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend I will repay when I come back. This illustrates our subject, compassion. The Samaritan not only saw the victim, he shared in, 
he felt the pain of the victim, though he knew nothing more about him so far as we know. It might be said the Samaritan projected himself down on the ground, suffering with the victim. That sympathy was so intense, the Samaritan acted against risk in spite of the time and trouble to provide safety and comfort to the victim. Jesus is defining compassion. You feel with someone. Their situation becomes real to you personally, and against risk and in spite of the time and trouble, you do not hesitate to act, to respond to the need. That's compassion. Example number two. Turn with me over to Acts chapter 16. Paul is with Silas, and they were preaching in Philippi in Macedonia. And here's what happened. This is Acts 16, 25 through 33. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembled with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once. He and all his family. I have often referred to this account as one of the first recorded cases of suicide prevention counseling. The jailer, verse 27 says, was about to kill himself. Stop here and think about what an absence of compassion would do. Nothing. Paul could have thought and could have said, this is not my problem. This is the man who held me in jail against my will. I don't know this man. I have other urgent business. It is his choice to take his own life. That's what you do when there is an absence of compassion in your heart, like the priest and Levite in Luke 10. You don't have time. It is not your problem. You have other business. You are busy, and there's risk and dangers that are high. And perhaps the time-honored but ill-conceived thought that somebody else can come along and take care of this guy. There are other people who can do this. Verse 28, Paul cried out with a loud voice and said, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And that's just the beginning of Paul's compassion. Not only does he prevent the suicide, he teaches this man the gospel the thing he needed most, and the jailer becomes his brother in Christ. 
Then don't leave the story without noticing the man showed compassion back to Paul and Silas, taking them to his own house, providing food and healing. A compassionate heart cares. But then, against risk and in spite of personal hardship, responds to the immediate need to the best of one's ability. Illustrated by the Samaritan in Jesus' story, illustrated again by the Apostle Paul in his response of heart to the jailer, illustrated likewise in the response of the jailer to the needs of Paul and Silas. It is compassion that causes us to look at one's misfortune and not immediately put it out of mind. It is compassion that responds to the best of one's ability to come to the aid of a victim. It is compassion that doesn't make excuses. It is compassion that takes action against risk and dangers and willing to sacrifice time. It was compassion. In Matthew 9:26, when Jesus saw the crowds, it says he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. It is compassion that causes you to help, to come to the aid of a victim, not expecting any return of the favor. And even if nobody ever knows, the Good Samaritan did not perform so he would forever have a place in the book of Luke. It was a response of his heart to a man he did not know, except that the man needed help. Jesus is defining compassion. The Bible defines it. You feel with someone. Their situation becomes real to you personally against risk and in spite of the time in trouble you go through. You do not hesitate to act. You respond to the need to the best of your ability. Our text in Colossians 3 says, Christians have that kind of heart. Example number three, we move higher. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now we have an example of compassion from the highest source, a heavenly display from God and His Son revealed by the Holy Spirit that perfectly captures what compassion is. And this offer of help is graciously extended to people who are undeserving, people who have sinned, not innocent victims, people who have sinned, God chose to care and to love and act with mercy toward people who have sinned. Please notice something with me. Look at the last two verses of the previous chapter. So I'm in Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, where it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another 
tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Paul is teaching he is urging Christians to be compassionate. Here, it involves the removal of bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander, along with all malice. Remove it, put it away. Instead of those immature attitudes, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. We are to think and act like our Father. And the word for that is imitation. We are to be imitators of God. We are to be His children. And that leads us right back into Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the generous compassion and care of God combined with the love of Christ who gave himself for us so that we can be forgiven, accepted, and receive the promise of heaven. There is no higher exhibit of what compassion is. And this is stated in so many other places. Psalms 11 verse 4, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus was rich in his heavenly environment. He was so close to the Father and of the same divine nature. Why then did he become poor? Why leave a perfect and beautiful existence and take on servanthood and poverty on earth and on top of that be punished and crucified? Why? The answers always take us to the compassion of God the compassion of Jesus Christ, to provide for us a way out of ruin and into fellowship with God into heaven. It was compassion of the highest sort that prompted God to make a way for us to get out of the ugly, aimless life of sin. The gospel defines compassion. God looked upon our need. In spite of a price he himself would pay, he acted to relieve our need, sending his own son. May I offer this? In the Bible, every single virtue, every positive quality of character is illustrated by God himself and by Jesus Christ, his son. And every good trait we discover in our Father and in Jesus, it must be embraced and fully nurtured within our lives. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. If in my life, in your life, as we study what compassion is, how it is so well illustrated, if we are convicted by the word for our lack of compassion, three things we can do immediately. One, pray about our ineffective discipleship in this area. 
The fervent prayer of the righteous avails much. Pray to God about your weakness, my weakness, your sin, my sin, our lack of diligence. Ask God to forgive us and help us face our areas of unfaithfulness and personal weakness. If you are self-absorbed, tell God about that. Confess your sins to enable you to develop true compassion. Number two, focus on becoming more like your father. In life here, we often observe the daughters are very much like their mothers and sons are like their fathers. Children of God need to focus on being like God. What we see in our father that is good, we need to look for in our lives and nurture every good quality by letting God's word do its work of discipline within us. Three, examine yourselves in specific experiences with people. I tell you, it is one thing to think about a concept and learn about a concept academically. And it's one thing to approve of that concept in some sort of a general way and applaud something positive. It's another thing to dig into your life in specific areas and attitudes and with specific people. It will do us good to think and explore about our responses to specific people and circumstances that may be ongoing now or that have already happened. Self-examination is worthwhile. Only when we get specific and detailed with all humility, it is challenging. But critique yourself. When you have had a hard conversation with someone after some episode, review how you did. Was your attitude right? Not just were you right in what you said, but was there compassion and love in how you said it? Dean Kuntz has said some people think only intellect counts. Knowing how to solve problems and knowing how to get by, knowing how to identify an advantage and seize it, but the functions of intellect are insufficient without courage, love, friendship, compassion, and empathy. Finally, I want to help us remember something. The most important need people have is to get out of sin and into fellowship with God. I'm going to refer to the book of Micah in just a moment. Micah 7, 18 to 20. I'm making the point the most important need people have is to get out of sin and into fellowship with God. God saw our spiritual need and he responded. If we are genuine and consistent imitators of his compassion, we will act to the best of our ability to lift people out of sin. We do that by preaching and living the gospel of Christ. It was John Bunyan who said, You have not lived until you've done something for someone who can never repay you. 
if you lead someone to Christ, they can never repay you. But that is eternally rewarding for you and for them. Listen to Micah 7, 18 through 20. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham, as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Thank you for listening.